0: As a small business owner, I've had my share of accounting, tax, bank feed, and app issues. Some could say I'm a mess, kind of like some of your clients. But as a reflect on the last three years of my business, the one app that I've had not any problems with is OnPay. It's been set it and forget it payroll. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. And this goes back to the hammer I've been hitting, right? Like We, as accountants and bookkeepers... Can control the narrative for our clients. We can help formulate what they think about the IRS, what they think about taxes, what they think about accountants, what they think about EA's. We can educate them and accountants can change the world. Like it goes back to this like fundamental belief. Yeah. Like we really can I agree. And, and frankly, this is a great example. I mean, he got attacked, but maybe all of tax Twitter should be going after all of mainstream media, letting them understand how the real world works. Coming to you weekly from the On Pay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting
1: Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And
0: I'm David Leary. Blake, I just saw you in Phoenix yesterday.
1: It was great to see you in person. I posted a picture of us at a restaurant. We had some beers after we worked together for a while. I feel like meetings in real life, are actually made better by remote work. Because when we do meet up in person, it's special. And that was my takeaway
0: so you're on that saying topic. The more remote working, we'll appreciate each other more and more in person.
1: Yeah. Absence makes yeah. the heart grow fonder. And this is why I argue like conferences are more important than ever. It is important to see people in person. I'm a bit big advocate for remote work, but I've never said we don't want to see each other in person. And so uh, I, I think some of the best firms Leading the way when it comes to remote work, they're they're fully remote most of the time, but then they will use the money they used to spend on a physical office to bring their staff together throughout the year at different times. So at least annually, but hopefully more often. Yeah. And you do a firm wide retreat, and it's not just for the partners; it's for everybody. And uh, that that's a great way to build the camaraderie that continues throughout the year.
0: And that's what we did. We had a five hour retreat yesterday.
1: We did. <laughs> and uh, we it's, we should do it every quarter. Now, David, uh, I do want to pivot to a tweet that you sent out this morning, sort of on a personal note. I know that you are getting, you have ordered one of those electric Mustangs and you've been having supply chain (laughs) issues as you tweeted out. You said, how come Amazon can do this with a $20 picture frame, but Ford can't do it with a 50K automobile? How do you lose a Mustang Mach-E? I find it hard to believe that a company puts millions... Of automobiles on train cars, or millions of dollars of automobiles on train cars, and can't track them. And you put a a picture of your like Amazon order showing like every step of the way where it was. So what's going on? So, like, so, is your where's your car? So some
0: of it's supply chain, right? So we had yeah. you have um, my wife ordered the car Christmas in preparation, knowing I was going to have a daughter driving. Like we're going to need another car, and like planned ahead on this. Finally goes into production in May, but we had to agree. To not have a certain chip put in, like the self parking chip, because there's supply shortages, they don't have those. And then they'll put that chip in later. So you had to agree, like, hey, we'll build your car one less feature. I'm like, okay, fine, build okay. the car.
1: They built the car. Well, what is the feature that is missing? For uh, I think chip. it's the
0: self parking feature. Oh, okay, so, so it's an all electric vehicle, so not- right? You get you customized it, blah, blah blah. Put the deposit down, and Ford kind of communicated a little bit. You got dates, like, hey, you're we got your reservation successfully your car started production. Two weeks later, it was done. So May 23rd, our car was done. And that's the shipping, expected date, July 12th, July 17th, okay. when we were so out of town.
1: like a little more than a month, that's not bad. Yeah,
0: five, six weeks delivery. But then you have to work with your dealer. So even though you order it directly from Ford, you still have to work with the local dealer. That's where they're gonna deliver the car to. But nobody right. can tell us where the car is. And so it's just it's all like management of expectations, right? it's just a bad experience. Like I I can order a $10 charger on Amazon and track it every little step of the way, but where are these cars? Like nobody knows where the cars are. And the best I can do is, you know, the internet, the power of the internets together, right? People figured out like, apparently there's an embargo and the trains going East to West into California. So all the trains are just stopped on tracks throughout the rest of the Midwest. Why? Because California they doesn't have enough room on the tracks right now in California, so they're in, <laughs> oh. there's, they're limiting how much cargo is getting delivered to California. Wow.
1: It's it's really oh, strange. Oh, so the ports, the ports are all backed yeah, up. Everything's yeah, everything's backed up. Well, so this is interesting because you know it's it's a classic customer experience screw up. Oh, well, my wife's like ready um, I mean,
0: to just forget the whole thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so let's tie this back to accounting. Yeah. I think that customer experience is the great frontier. For accounting firms. If you can create an awesome customer experience, you can dominate and you can win business and you can succeed. You don't even have to be an advisor. You don't have to do this advisory services stuff. You don't have to like go out and add new services. If you just do what you do really well and deliver a great customer experience, you have a lot of opportunity. What's the parallel? To me, it's the status of a tax return. A lot of times in a firm, you've assigned the engagement letter, you send in your stuff as a customer, as I've experienced and you have experienced recently, David, being on the other side, and then you don't hear anything for a really long time. And that's kind of similar to what you're experiencing right now. You don't know when this car is ever going to come. A lot of times, you know, a tax return, you don't know when that return's ever coming either. And the either. employees don't know,
0: just, right? Like nobody, yeah. even though it's just, it's very hard to believe. Just figure out like, oh, your car's here. And well, okay, that makes sense. It's there. It's stopped because of this, but there's no explanations, right? So you have to just, right. you just get really frustrated. Like, where is this at? You know, is it lost? Well, and this is, you know,
1: right. And and so I think the reason it doesn't happen is because it's a very manual thing. Somebody has to go in and look up stuff or they have to like dig into systems to find out where it is. Whereas Amazon has built this whole system where every package is tracked and all the inventory is tracked. Everything is tracked automatically by computer systems. And that data is transparently delivered to the customers at all times. And we could do that. There's ways to do that in a firm. You can build systems that will like automatically notify your clients every time the return moves to a different stage in the process. Unfortunately, like none of the major providers of practice management software have done this themselves. Like I'm really surprised that, that it's not a more common thing and maybe it is. And I just haven't heard about it, but I feel like it's not all that stuff's geared toward like internal notifications,
0: internal dashboards. Not the, yeah.
1: the status of the return could be like waiting for information from client. And then once you have all the information, it's ready to start. It's the Domino's pizza model. You can see the pizza the in pizza the oven. Tracker. You can see it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a better experience. It's just
0: a better experience. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is, I think all these new electric cars have like 5G cell phone technology built in them. They're constantly communicating with the cloud. And I'm pretty sure you can't, the batteries can never be 100% zero. So these cars have power and they're probably going by cell towers. Like they know where the cars are. <laughs> like, like this is what's <laughs> crazy, but well, no, no employees at Ford, including Ford Social Media, including... People at the dealership, nobody can tell yeah. you where the car is. Like, that's his bananas, Amazing. Dude. Somebody somewhere knows where the <laughs> car is.
1: Well, you know what else is bananas, David? The response to the Inflation Reduction Act this week. We talked about it in our last episode in the context of- You saw it of, coming. You saw it coming. Yeah. Well, because it had just, the news had just dropped. We, we're, we record on Fridays now, and the news had just dropped on Friday that like, the Senate was going to pass this. Uh, I think they did it over the weekend. And so this week has been the whole political news cycle about what's in the act because we fully expect it to pass the house once the house decides to like stop being on vacation. I don't know why it's taking them time. I guess they're in no rush, right? <laughs> so, so there's been discussion about like what's in the act. And we talked specifically about one provision, which is that 15% minimum tax on corporations making over is it over a billion dollars a year in revenue and it's based on book income so that's going to have a big impact potentially on GAAP and FASB because now suddenly taxes for big corporations are going to be based on their book income which has never happened before so that was just one small provision and then the
0: piece we've the also Act. we've tracked a lot of nobody
1: is yeah
0: is new funding for the IRS like that got rolled up into well, this bill
1: so that was the big story in the bill that got mainstream coverage this week was that the IRS is finally getting the $80 billion that they need to both modernize, but also, and this is the part that started to freak everybody out step up enforcement. Something like more than half of that $80 billion, maybe it was like 46, is for enforcement. And what does enforcement mean? Well, one of the things it means is more IRS agents and more Who auditors. said
0: this first? Like, was it a mistake? More audits. Like, somewhere along, somebody said, There's going to be, and it might've been Biden. I don't even know who actually said this first, but there's number 87,000 IRS agents got started getting tossed around everywhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that number, that number was pulled from a treasury report released in May, 2021 about how the administration hoped to address the tax gap. And the tax gap is the difference between what taxpayers legally owe to the government and what is actually paid due to tax fraud. And- that figure was believed to be at least $381 billion a year. So $381 billion a year in taxes that don't get collected because the IRS doesn't have the resources to audit. And so people underreport their income. They lie on their taxes, right? And so the administration had said previously, we're going to hire, we're going to use the money to hire, or one of the things they could do is hire 87,000 agents. Now, is that really going to happen? The answer is, How the heck could it happen? Where are they going to find eighty seven thousand IRS agents? It's doubtful, right?
0: Yeah, with the talent Uh, shortage. Last week's episode, if you how are they going to make these? It's not like
1: stormtroopers. And how are they
0: clone them? Right? They just
1: yeah. Although, although if they did it, though, it's like another, it's another like stake in the coffin of traditional CPA firms because now you are competing with the IRS hiring away these fresh college grads potentially. Uh, (laughs) You know, like it's going to make the accounting talent shortage even worse. But I think the the point is that like that number was plucked from that report and it was used as a fear mongering tactic to get clicks and to to get people riled up on oh, social and the, and media and were on crazy. Like, cable news.
0: Like, and then some people would leave out the number and they're like, "There's going to be one person, one agent for every American auditing them." <laughs> like the tweets were crazy. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, it got really crazy. Well, people, I mean, you know, look, let's be fair. Like, getting audited is not fun. And the IRS can really mess you up big time. And sometimes they, like the government overreach, like they will go to ridiculous lengths to like get the money, and they will crush you. And there's no compassion, you know. Like that really does happen. And and that's where people get riled up because they hear these stories that it really exists. Like if you ask me, like that's one thing the IRS should probably figure out is the the PR of these audits of small businesses. Often people who made mistakes or got tricked by a business partner who made all these mistakes and didn't pay the payroll taxes and all that stuff. And now their whole financial personal life is ruined. Yes, if if the IRS would
0: like to hire the David and Blake consulting firm, we could help you with this image management problem you're having
1: (laughs) with these things. You have a big image management problem because that's why people hate the IRS and why they're opposed to increasing the IRS's enforcement powers, right? They would rather have no audits. And have massive tax fraud than have the potential of being audited.
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. I was on the FreshBooks website this week and saw this blog post five FreshBooks features accountants love. So I figured let's share it with the Cloud Accounting Podcast audience. So without further ado, number one in app estimates and proposals. With deep customization, you can create bespoke proposals for clients and even capture their e signatures. Number two, pre populated chart of accounts. Help you cut down on your setup times and it helps clients feel confident when classifying their expenses three app integrations square dropbox hubspot g suite gusto and zoom time tracking allows your clients to take charge of their own time tracking and payroll and make invoicing a breeze checkout links you can require and collect payments up front to eliminate the need to chase clients that owe you money if you want to learn about the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcastpromo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S.
1: But I, I think we should put in context, like, you know, we like to talk about the numbers, David, we should put in context, like what exactly is going to happen and where we are now, like with the number of audits, right? So I was curious.
0: Fact check segment, like the
1: AP fact check on this IRS tax. So you know, what percentage of individual tax returns are audited? There was uh, some threads going around on Twitter, like actual tax experts, preparers saying, you know, I've I've prepared tens of thousands of tax returns over the years, and only a a few dozen have ever been audited. (laughs) You know, like that seems crazy. Like that's really really low. But it's actually possible. So according to the GAO, the government agency that puts together these numbers, from tax years 2010 to 2019, audit rates of individual income tax returns decreased for all income levels. On average, the audit rate for these returns decreased from 0.9% to 0.25%. I mean, that's really low. I I, I feel. Let's just think about this, David. If you had a 0.25% chance of getting audited... I feel like a lot of people knowing that would cheat on their taxes.
0: And the percentage is even lower for the higher income you make as ratios, right? Well, like most people that are auditing. We've talked about this before in the past are low income workers because those are easy to audit. It's, it's the, well, well the so actually,
1: credit, right. I, I want to clarify that. Okay. That's not quite correct. So it's true that if you make very little income and you do this, you know, or if you get these credits, you do have a higher audit rate than people who make more than you. For tax year 2019, if you had from $1 to less than $25,000 of income, you had a 0.4% chance of being audited. And a lot of times it's because your return is really simple and you're claiming that, uh, what do you call it, Earned, uh, earned income credit, earned income tax credit, right? So they audit those because that's easy. And you can do that with relatively low skilled IRS auditors, which is all they've been able to hire recently, right? You go up, and then it, it actually drops down. From 25K to 200K, it's only 0.17%. And then from 200K to less than 500K, it's also 0.17%. And then you go up. Now, Then it starts to go up. Once you hit 500K, you go to half a percent, and then it's a percent if you're over a million, and then it's 2.35% if you're 5 million or more. Hmm. Oh, and actually, they break out here. If you have the earned income tax credit only, you have a 0.77% chance of being audited. But it's crazy. You could file a hundred false earned income tax credit returns, and only the IRS would only catch one or zero, <laughs> between one yeah. and zero of them, right? So anyway, my point is that like I don't know what the audit rate should be, but like why is nobody talking about what is an appropriate audit rate? It seems like we have on the political spectrum we have people saying like we need to audit more, or the IRS is horrible. No. And there's even people who are like, abolish the IRS, like no audits, right? But that doesn't seem reasonable. And so I wonder, like, why is there nobody out there saying, like, a position of authorities, like some some organization that represents all accountants, right, (coughs) that could actually speak authoritatively on this and say, like, oh, you know, if we want to minimize tax fraud and we want to minimize the burden to taxpayers... We want to keep the audit rate as low as possible because it's expensive to audit people and it's an inconvenience, yeah. right? But we also want to minimize tax fraud because we don't want honest taxpayers paying for people who are skipping their taxes. I think we can all agree on that, right? That's the goal. So what should the audit rate be? But if you put out real numbers
0: that are not sensationalized, it's boring. Nobody clicks it. Nobody's going to donate right. to your campaigns. So you're better off putting out tweets the way... rep uh, What's your... Uh, Taylor Green. What's your first name?
1: Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Green.
0: So you're so better off doing tweets like Marjorie Taylor Green, where talks about how 70,000 of these new IRS agents are all going to have guns. right? Like that, this is what <laughs> well, gets people really scared and crazy. You
1: start saying how but, they're all going to carry guns. So the way the IRS responded to this fear mongering was like, because think about it, even if they hired 87,000 agents, what do you think the audit rate's going to go up to? I doubt they could increase it to half a percent on average or even a percent well, isn't it like right? even if so there's you're still
0: all, all those 87 downs, it's still like what each person has to handle four thousand returns like the ratios are still insane yeah,
1: yeah. the phone calls they, they have you know i don't know something like fifteen thousand agents answering the phone calls and they each have to have fifteen thousand calls between them which is why they only answer like you know less than like 10 to 20 percent of the phone calls so, so like even if if all they did was like answer the phone anyway so a perspective on the number. Uh, so, so let's say you're, you're 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 a tax shop
0: and yeah. and, and you your best employee who's just a machine what is your best employee burning through the number of tax returns a year 150 200 300 400
1: could be i don't know actually i really like how fast how many can know. you do
0: all right we don't know this number
1: it's you can fine. do well i mean i know of individuals who do hundreds or even thousands oh you can't okay yeah, I mean, it depends, right, on the complexity. So, so, so one you can do a ag- lot. One agent could possibly review 4,000 returns in a year. Uh, I mean, but you couldn't audit them. Yeah. Like, to, to actually audit is like, that's in person. That's an in person thing a lot of the time. Like, all the audits we're talking about, you have to, like, meet with somebody, <laughs> you know, the way they do it now. They wouldn't be able to do that many more. But anyway, I want to get back to what the IRS said. Okay. So, the IRS had to come out and say, like, okay, None of this enforcement money, the 40 billion something dollars of enforcement money is going to be for anyone making less than $400,000 a year, which is also absurd and ridiculous because we know there's a ton of tax fraud that happens below $400,000 a year, but they always say like, it's never going to impact anyone less than this amount. And of course it does, right? So the AICPA, you know, they came out with a statement on the Inflation Reduction Act and... To, to me, that seems like they could have an opportunity to like influence the discussion and make it higher quality to say something about what would be an appropriate use of the enforcement funds. But
0: they, they didn't. And give them a chance. It's an article. Think, because the comments they released this week were uh, based on a proposed bill from July 27th. It's almost like they're two weeks behind in getting to things. So, so maybe right. in two weeks, the ICPA will <laughs> address this craziness that's happening out there. Well,
1: here's what they said. They said that they believe that the corporate alternative minimum tax proposal violates a number of elements of good tax policy and could lead to unintended consequences that should be carefully considered. They also mentioned the enforcement efforts. On the subject of IRS funding, the AICPA would like to see more of the money going to taxpayer service rather than enforcement efforts. Quote, The AICPA believes that the Internal Revenue Service should be funded at necessary levels to allow it to handle all the duties required of it by Congress, including properly administering and enforcing our nation's tax laws, as well as providing needed assistance to taxpayers and their advisors in a timely and professional manner. However, the AICPA also believes that enforcement actions must be in balance with the services the IRS provides to taxpayers. Given the historic low levels of IRS taxpayer services, the AICPA is concerned about a possible imbalance between the funding for taxpayer services and enforcement. In its letter, the ASCPA urged Congress to commit on a bipartisan basis to determine the appropriate level of service necessary for the IRS and provide adequate resources for the agency to meet those goals, either as part of a reconciliation package or in a separate vehicle. So their message is Congress needs to figure it out. But the ASCPA, like we as a profession could say, hey, here's what the IRS audit rates should be at each level of income to to ensure integrity of our tax system. Like, who's better positioned than us to say that? But I think they're afraid to do it. Like they're afraid to take a stand. And so they say they say, just like, we're concerned. And, you and know, if you don't take a stand,
0: if there's not somebody with authority who should have the authority taking a stand, it leaves everybody else just to interpret things the way they want to and just stoke the fire., yeah, right?
1: Exactly. And that's why, you know, <laughs> make the discussion better. say like, you know, we believe that if we increased enforcement to this percentage, it would reduce tax fraud while minimizing the burden on taxpayers, right? Like, like that is what we should be doing as a profession, is, is bringing reason, like making a compromise. And, and just by, by avoiding it, we don't help at all. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. So it's interesting. On Twitter, I asked, I said, hey, tax Twitter, what percentage of individual income tax returns should the Internal Revenue Service audit? And I gave people four options. So 0 to, 25, 0 to 25 basis points, right, or 0.25%, that got about a quarter of the votes. So a quarter of people would say at the current or less. Interestingly, 26 to 50 points got like almost no response. Like I think like one person. And then 50 to 1%, so half percent to a percent, got a quarter of the votes. But half of the people who responded said greater than 1%. So tax Twitter at least the people that are following me seem to think that we should be auditing more than 1% of returns when we're only auditing a quarter of a percent. I just think that like 1% is not it's not it's still not that bad. Like if you have a 1% chance of getting audited. I guess if you multiply it every year, right? You will have a, a still you'll have a bigger chance of getting audited in your lifetime but it's still pretty low. I don't want to You going to the jury duty. If, you know, if you pay
0: before you ever get audited, you'll be
1: Yeah you know if you get if you if you have a 99% chance every year of not getting audited and you multiply that by you know 20 years of paying taxes or whatever it is or 40 years right eventually you'll you have a pretty good chance of getting audited but it's like only one time and and i think that's important like psychologically people need to know that they will at some point in their life get audited if they feel like there's no chance of that then you could just commit tax fraud your whole life and never pay any consequences. Like it's just kind of. And there's a
0: misunderstanding why of what talking, an audit you know?
1: is, right? That
0: gets made out to this like fearing thing because what what gets coverage are when criminals get caught and criminals get audited. There's yeah. probably, I, I imagine there's tens of thousands of audits happen every year where there's a misunderstanding, a mistake. It gets resolved. People pay their fair share. Everybody moves on yeah. and that's the end of it. But I, it, that's not good I media. Defend- it's not good TV, if you want to say it, for lack of a better term, right?
1: I assisted in an audit of a client. I had a client when I had my practice, got audited, and I wasn't the uh, CPA doing the audit defense or representation. So my job was to provide the records. And I was a little nervous when that happened because I'm like, okay, I, I hope that what I did as the bookkeeper can, can hold up under an IRS audit. It was sort of a test of my abilities. We provided everything. I had to spend some time exporting explaining, pulling docs. And the audit came back after several months and was clean. It was fine. <laughs> so, you know, it, was, it wasn't It was that bad. If you are honest, yeah, it's a little work and uh, there's a cost to it, but it's not that bad. It's not what people make it out to be online. And I think that was what Adam Markowitz was trying to say on Twitter. Before you, before you jump into that yeah, before you jump into Adam yet, yeah. Going back to what you're saying about
0: the, it's not sensationalized, right? It's boring, right? If Intuit came out, Intuit does what forty eight million tax returns, right? For TurboTax, where they do, if they came out and said only this many got audited, it would set some perspectives for people. But what that doesn't, I think people think that,
1: right? Yeah, I think people think that audits are way more frequent than they are. Like the public, I actually wonder if you went out to the public and said, you know, what do you think the audit percentages are for different levels of income? It would be vastly incorrect.
0: Yeah. And you probably don't even know people that have been audited. In the Like If you start asking around, you may not even know anybody that's been audited. So Ford Fish
1: Well, if, but the people who get audited are very vocal about it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> this episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. OnPay is built for accountants. And with 30 plus years of payroll experience, they can be the payroll partner you can always rely on. They offer a dashboard to manage all your clients in one place. And when I say manage, I probably should say balance that fine line between control and delegation. OnPay lets you keep 100% control. You can delegate payroll to someone at your firm or hand off payroll duties to your client. But no matter who runs payroll, OnPay always takes care of all tax payments and filings, even local filings. And with integrations with QuickBooks Online, Xero and QuickBooks Desktop, you can use OnPay across your entire client base regardless of the accounting GL they're using. OnPay's Partner Program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts or a rev share, and a dedicated support team of in-house payroll experts who will do all the heavy lifting. From setting up your dashboard to adding your clients and their employees, they'll even enter any prior wages to make it easy to switch. If you're looking for a great product with great support to match, check out OnPay. Learn more about switching your clients to the award-winning OnPay payroll and HR. Head over to CloudAccountingPodcast slash OnPay. That is is promo forward slash O N P A Y. OnPay switch to better payroll. So I found it, there was an article on the National Review, which I think is a very uh, conservative magazine, right? The National Re- Review. Yep. And the headline. Was IRS deletes job posting seeking seeking applicants willing to use deadly force? This is the title <laughs> of their article. And it stems from there's a tweet from Ford Fisher. So Ford Fisher is a documentarian filmmaker. Apparently he's won an Oscar and Emmy and Golden Globes. I don't know what he's done, but this guy exists. He took a screenshot from a job posting on the IRS website and you know tweets it out. And on visually looking at it on Twitter, you know, it talks about Working a minimum of 50 hours a week, including irregular hours, and be on-call 24-7, including holidays and weekends. Maintain a level of fitness necessary to effectively respond to life-threatening situations on the job. Carry a firearm and be willing to use deadly force if necessary. Be willing to assist yeah. in, in arrest, execution, search warrants, and other dangerous assignments. Now, this is a, a position at the IRS. Is not all the agents, but it's not framed that way, right? And so this yeah, gets- you're not- Thousands and thousands of they're likes not, and retweets and quotes. Right. This this probably got exposed millions and millions and millions of times.
1: That's the criminal division that goes after people like Al Capone, and they carry guns because they're at actual risk. I think that they job. all
0: should carry guns now because people are so stoked. It's, it would be scary if I'm an auditor and I would go to audit somebody. I'd be a little scared now, even if it's not a criminal audit type situation. That the person's all stoked and they're going to come after them. Somebody's going to shoot me if I'm an auditor now. Well, but it just, it's just the the stoke, the stoke, the stoke. And it it gets to really where you're going with Adam now. So I'll let you continue on.
1: Well, yeah, let's talk about the guy who took it for the team this week the tax expert, the enrolled agent who became famous on cable news, Adam Markowitz, who I follow and I love seeing his stuff. He tweeted, all of my GOP friends who are worried about 87,000 IRS enforcement agents coming after the little guy. How about just don't cheat on tax returns? A fully truthful and accurate tax return is bulletproof in an audit. I never understood the fear of an IRS audit. Don't lie. Period. And that tweet got a thousand retweets, three thousand quote tweets, close to seven thousand likes, and got picked up on Fox News and markowitz became the target of gutfeld
0: well even before he got even before well, he the twitter got fox news he was already the target right he got really yeah. attacked in, in this tweet yeah. um yeah
1: and it was and it wasn't just you know crazy people on twitter it was like people other tax preparers cpas who are on the conservative side of this argument which i don't even think there is a liberal or conservative side of this argument i, I there shouldn't be anyway but they it has broken into a political divide. So I just, I just want to play this segment for you from Gutfeld's show on Fox News, where he really goes after Markowitz. And it, it kind of just illustrates, it very well illustrates the insanity of the discussion around this. Here we go.
2: So how does this help you? Well, first, there's crime, inflation. Your kids are in crappy schools. Gas prices are eating into your beer budget.
1: I think he was talking about like the Inflation Reduction Act or whatever. Inflation, right?
2: Luckily, the government's working to make sure you have nothing. So then you have nothing to hide. Here's IRS agent Adam Markowitz justifying this new army. He says, quote, all of my GOP friends who are worried about these new IRS agents coming after the little guy. How about just don't cheat on tax returns? A fully truthful and accurate tax return is bulletproof. I never understood the fear of an IRS audit. Well, I like how it's just his imaginary GOP friends (laughs) who fear this new IRS army and he never understood the fear. Well, it's always tantamount of charging you with a crime and it's up to you to clear yourself of the charge. That's what people fear you, smuck. Bottom line, a person can actually go to jail if they just aren't that organized, like Kat. (laughs) But then this agent admits in a later tweet, I I get that it's a headache to go through an audit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. So you, when you get finished being audited by the IRS, it's not your head that's aching, pal. You're at the wrong end of the horse. <laughs> and he's an ass comparing the IRS to the feeling I get from ice cream. Then he adds, and I get that it's costly to go through an audit and nobody ever wins. Well, wait a second, jackass. You just said no one should fear an audit. Then you say exactly why they should fear it. It disrupts your life and nobody ever wins. I got a question for you. What are the property taxes in Fantasy Island, where you live? But but if you have an IQ higher than an artichoke, you must see that by now, this country's heading towards a police state, where the police state, they want your money now. And if you don't see that now, do me a favor and change the channel. I think Fallon is playing beer pong with Harry Connick Jr. right now.
1: So that is the level of debate in this country when it comes to additional IRS enforcement. It's a police state. Crazy. And so that's why we need our leaders to step up and get into this. Frey, I know it's scary. I know nobody wants to be the target of a Fox News attack. But if reasonable people don't step up and stand up and say what needs to be said, then the discussion will just get worse and more polarizing. You can't get away from it. You can't hide from it. Yeah, so we're doing our small part to help, I think, on this show. That's our goal. What's That's my name? goal.
0: What's his name? Gutfield? Gutfield? Whatever his name. It doesn't matter.
1: Gutfeld? <laughs> Gutfeld it, looks fell, like, right? I, he, it looks like Garfield. It's like he's even leaning into that kind of like... <sighs> yeah, the logo is a little of that, too. It's, it's the logo kinda, looks like that. It's funny.
0: But he... He's just stoking the fire for his his viewers, right? You you feed the audience that you want, you know, but, he, yeah, but he's government calling it government evil, right? Government bad, and he's calling you know Always. it's an army government bad and all this. But the yeah. bigger part of this, and this is the beauty of like, or maybe our listeners should realize like this is the reason that you hate all the news channels. They're all wrong. They're all bad. They're all fake. The fact that he kept calling Cable him an news. IRS I, agent yeah. shows. There was no research at Fox News to verify who the hell Adam actually is. He's an enrolled agent, which yeah. is not an IRS agent. And then the other bullshit thing that Fox pulled, and you can leave this in, they represented him as having one of those blue check marks. On, so, a verified account. A verified Twitter. account. Yeah. But Adam does not have that. So, so Fox misconstrued
1: who he was fully. They got wrong what he does, who he is. Who's the affi- he's not an IRS agent. He's an enrolled agent. Yeah. He's a tax preparer. He helps small businesses and they're going after him. It's just, it's. And going back to like what you said, he took one for the team this week. Well, all of tax Twitter for all of us. He he got attacked.
0: Yes. He got really attacked. This episode of the cloud accounting podcast is sponsored by canopy. As you've heard in previous ads, canopy brings together all of your firm's mission critical functions in one place client management, document management, workflow, time and billing, and payments to keep your team organized. And having your team organized is great, but having your team spend less time on mundane tasks is even better. Did you know that Canopy has automation built in? Sure, you can still use an app like Zapier with Canopy, but for most firms, the built-in automation in Canopy's workflow module is plenty sophisticated enough. Your team can create trigger automations based on status, tasks, and subtasks, as well as dates, be it upcoming, reached, or past. Then Canopy can complete the mundane tasks for your team, like automatically ascending client requests, or automatically assigning the next task or subtask to a member of your team as they complete work for each client. Or how about a really nice email to the client after all the work's been completed? To get a demo of Canopy and to receive a $40 Amazon gift card, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C A N O P Y. Well, Blake, I have even better news for you. I don't know if it's better news, but we were able to get Adam Markowitz to come on the show. Adam, welcome to the show. <laughs> it's a
3: pleasure to be here, David. I appreciate it.
0: Um, so we just built up, we've been talking about how There's no level-headedness in this inflation act. The rhetoric, the tweets, there's guns with the IRS and things got really, really crazy. And then the peak of this was you. Like you put out kind of a level-headed tweet and then it really went viral. You really got attacked and then you went up on Fox News. So I just want to like, what was this like from your perspective? I mean, you might've had the most famous tax Twitter tweet ever, I think, possibly in history. Boy, that's sad, isn't it? (laughs) Um, So, you know, it's,
3: It started as as funny and quickly got disgusting. Some of the some of the really just downright hateful things that come out of people's mouths and off of their keyboards are are the types of things you just don't forget. Now I'm also uh, enough you know level headed enough to realize that idiots are going to be idiots. Right, What what it boils down to. Yeah. What really stung me the most about the whole thing is when people started going to my website and started sending me feedback through my website, and my admin had to send me some of these things. And some of this stuff is uh, not exactly suitable for PG rated podcast. Let's put it that way. And having to explain to her who is a, a 30-year-old woman who has, by and large, lived a relatively naive life because she she can. Understanding where certain specific Jewish slurs are coming from and why they're being directed at me was a very difficult part of the conversation. That said, after going through some of that and finally just saying, you know what, I'm just going to kind of turn it off and just say forget about it, it made life a little bit, It made it made it, it, it kind of fun, again, to tell you the truth. I will say there is a lot of reasonable discourse that does disagree with me. And I I will say I really did enjoy a lot of that reasonable discourse. Unfortunately, harder to find that among some of the people who had a lot of things to say that were rooted in, let's just say hatred and, and evil as opposed to actual discourse. And then we saw it on Fox, right? It's, it blows my mind that stuff like that could happen on major news networks. You know, I get it that that, that Gefeld is a, uh, you know, kind of alt-comedy answer to Fallon and, you know, Kimmel and all those people. But it's like, you know, I'm just a guy. I, I have 600 clients. I'm, I'm, you know, in Wintermere, Florida. He's not coming to visit me anytime in the near future. I don't have any real national poll. I have 11,000 Twitter followers. I don't even know how I have that many for price sake. But, you know, it's like I wish both sides of the aisle would just be so much more reasonable about what it actually means to bring in more people to the IRS. And, and that discourse just can't happen because everything that comes out of Washington right now has to be way politically left or way politically right. And either you agree with it or it's awful. And there's just no middle ground anymore on anything like that.
0: So the, the numbers are really, for me, like it was retweeted a thousand times. Like, what was the, Can you see the total impressions that it had? Yeah, over four million. Four million! Wow, you actually got more impressions on Twitter than you did I mean, the, the, these network news channels. They only get like a million viewers. Like, like yeah. so, so really, the, the 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 retweets and the exposure on Twitter was actually bigger than the the Fox News thing. But it was like, how do you feel like as far as like for me, I was like, they're calling you out as an IRS agent, which is just insane. And then they put the blue check mark. Do you feel like you were misconstrued? Misrepresented? Oh, of course. Yeah,
3: absolutely. You know, in in another, you know, in another setting in life, if I really had any real damages for this, would I have some maybe legal ground to stand on? I don't know, but certainly I'm not an IRS agent. I don't work for the IRS. Probably never will work for the IRS. And I don't have a blue check mark next to my name. And I can't imagine a circumstance where I will. It's just when you hear about fake news, right? The proverbial fake news that you that that you know, Trump kind of started this and now both sides of the aisle have taken it. I look at that and go, I am now a real life example. That's a blatant, blatant lie. Like there's not even anything remotely truthful about saying I'm an IRS agent. I don't work for the
0: IRS and that's exactly how he portrayed me. Yeah, and and they're not going to issue a correction right? Of course not. There's not going to be a correction like, oh, we've learned that there's a difference between an EA and an IRS agent. Maybe for, for not so much our audience, but maybe we can clip this out and we can post it on. Can you define the difference between an enrolled agent and an IRS agent?
3: Yeah. I mean, this is basically like asking me the difference between apples and apple pie, right? So, you know, an IRS agent is somebody who works for the IRS. Typically, you know, uh, whether it be in the customer service department, and the audit department, and the criminal investigations department, those are IRS agents. Enrolled agents do the exact opposite of that, right? I fight against those guys. You know, I, it's my job to represent taxpayers. I'm licensed by the IRS um, to to kind of represent them in tax matters. And if that means I have to take adversarial positions against the IRS, that that's exactly what I'm licensed to do. So to kind of just be like, oh, this is an IRS agent that he said two or three or whatever times it was, it's just like it couldn't be further from the truth as to what it is. So, I mean, I work alongside the IRS, per se, just from the standpoint of we have the same interest of getting taxpayers' tax returns filed properly. But that's it. That's literally all I have in common with IRS agents.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. And I've kind of talked about this, like accountants changing the world. And I think you're out there doing it. Right, and now like you really have leveled this up. Like now, nobody's had this kind of volume, and like so, how do you do? Continue to go for this? Like, is this the next steps? Do you continue to tag and call out and try to be that lightning rod, or is this like, well, that was enough? I had the ride. I'm Um, done. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I tweeted that on Saturday or whatever
3: day it was, thinking that anybody aside from you know a bunch of tax Twitterers were going to read it. Happens to be that some blue check on Breitbart. Picked it up and that, then it spread like wildfire. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do think there is a stance that we as a, a tax community could take because you know all of all of these years as time goes by, especially as we become more polarized between big government and small government, left and right, you know, liberal, conservative, all of these different things. It seems like we're kind of caught in the middle because if you look at like Elizabeth Warren who says oh we need to make it so so it's you know, ridiculous that how much people have to pay for tax preparation we should make it easier and then of course you look on the on the right side of the aisle and you you hear Marsha Blackburn going well now you have an auditor for every American now um and you know some of the, the crazy stuff it's like we're made out to be the bad guys and I, I still constantly look at that and go you go to a licensed professional to get your hair cut you go to a licensed professional to, to get your legal stuff done. You go to a licensed professional to get your medical stuff done. What's wrong with going to a licensed professional to get your taxes done? At, in most cases, less than like, I don't know, a cup of coffee once a month or maybe you know a couple times a month, and that's what you're paying to get the peace of mind of knowing that your most important financial document is done You know, at a professional level. I don't see why, why we are the butt of seemingly every joke. That comes out of Washington at this point, and it becomes really frustrating, and it really does trickle down at least into my practice. I don't know if you have a, you know similar that you go through, but people all the time. Why do I have to pay you that much money? And I'm cheap, I think, you know, comparatively speaking.
0: And it's it's interesting just how mainstream. I feel like the text, Twitter conversations, stories we've been covering the cloud accounting podcast the last three or four weeks have become. The shortage of accountants was on NPR last week, right? The Now, like, you're uh, on Fox News, and, like, it's kind of amazing, like, how much, and the IRS funding, like, that was the number one topic out of this bill mm-hmm. that got the most attention. And, like, it's just amazing how, like, mainstream we're all becoming, like, in a way. The thing, our, our, our yeah. conversations are becoming very mainstream. It's just that the more mainstream they go, the more polarizing they go.
3: Right. And that's part of the problem. You know, the unfortunate part about the Inflation Reduction Act is the the IRS portion of this was not, I mean, this was literally just to pay for. This is not the main portion of the bill. Of course, it didn't help them that they put it in the early portions of the bill. I don't know why they didn't put it, you know, buried somewhere on page 300. But, you know, there are lots of really important things in this bill that America should be focused on. We should be focused on the manufacturing of, you know, uh, alt energy vehicles and, you know, clean sources of renewable energy, um, in our plants and our, our businesses, our vehicles, we drive all of these things. And yet, what are we worried about? We're worried about 87,000 IRS agents over 10 years, you know, 50,000 of which are going to be used to replace the ones that are retiring. When you look at the levels and Peter Riley did a really, really, I had a great conversation with him after this started to spread. And he put out a really great level-headed piece about this that basically started with all we're doing by hiring all these new agents is taking us back to where we were with the IRS in the mid-90s. In the mid-90s, we're now at the same apportionment or proportion rather of IRS agents to tax returns filed. We will be if we get there, right? God knows if we're going to hire this many people, but if we did for the IRS, we'd be back to the same apportionment of agents working with the IRS to tax returns that are being filed. That seems reasonable to me. And it just, the fact that it just gets looked at as, oh, you know, everybody's going to get audited now. You're still going to have way less than a 1% chance of getting audited at any given year. Way, way less than that.
0: Yeah. So if, how are you recommending or how do you think just the community your tax Twitter should proceed? Like, how should they proceed with their clients? How should they proceed publicly? Like, what's kind of your two cents? How are you handling this with your clients?
3: Yeah, so with my clients, I'm I'm generally leaving it alone. And part of it is my client base, just where my office is based, is mostly right-leaning, if not way far right. And I know if I start to engage in that conversation, I'm going to be met with more of the, you know. I'm going to have an IRS agent at my door with an AR-15 because I didn't, you know, because I claimed an extra $14 in, you know, meal expenses for the year. One of the conversations that I had with a, with a local media guy, one of our local news stations about this, because he asked me, he saw it and he goes, listen, what's reason? What's really going on here? And I wish as a community that we could have those discussions where there's what the left says, there's where the right says, and there's what really is actually probably going to happen. And I wish as a community that we could all recognize that what is going to happen, the average Joe is not going to know any better. They're just not. Uh, You know, if the IRS picks up 10% more agents, the average Joe is not going to know that. And, you know, if we really got down to, with these extra auditors, if we can deal with more things like customer service for CP2000 notices, for just kind of general picking up the phone when something goes wrong with the IRS... If we could educate people that those notices, it's not that they're going to get worse with more people. The more infrastructure we get to the IRS, the more functioning it should be. Now, how will it play out in practice? We'll see. Because frankly, I think you and I both know you could give the IRS $8.7 trillion and it isn't going to fix all of their problems. But you know, I wish we would have more conversations that were around the reality of what it all means. And maybe shed, shed some light back on Congress and go, hey, Congress, we know what this was. This was a political game that was a play for to get your social agenda passed. So I, I wish we could have more discussions like that. And I'm also not so naive to realize that those of us in the tax Twitter community are the significant minority of tax preparers. So that we only have so much reach we can do. But I would love to get more words out there that are really the, the truth about what's happening. It's just a matter of you know what's truth anymore. It's really hard to believe that you know no matter because everybody's going to spin something. It's gonna it's gonna spin to whatever they what best suits them.
0: Yeah, at the time
3: that narrative, and that that's the really unfortunate part about it is the narrative is more important than the reality.
0: Got it. So Adam, thank you for joining us. I, I, I- I appreciate this, like taking time, joining us. My pleasure. We're not going to give you the attention you ever got from, you know, Fox News or anybody <laughs> else. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> but, but those the listeners that do not know who you are, are not following you. What is the best way for them to get a hold of you?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm pretty active on, on Twitter in the tax Twitter community at, um you know, Adam Markowitz EA. You know, I'm, I'm, I would be, I'd start handing out email addresses and all that, but I'm um, about to rebrand. So all the information that I would hand out is about to be no good anymore in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but my Twitter handle, I'm not going.
0: Now, is the rebrand planned before? Was this because of all of this attention that you get on no, the new website new emails, everything else? Yeah. Right.
3: So right now I'm, I'm a 49% shareholder in a company called Howard L. Markowitz, P-A-C-P-A. My dad, Howard, C-P-A, he's getting ready to retire. And when he retires, which is coming up very soon here, uh, I'm going to buy out his share of the business. And when we do that, obviously... Being Howard L. Markowitz, PA, CPA, as an enrolled agent doesn't fly.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: so we're going to be rebranding to um, a new name that I'm hoping to introduce here in the next couple of weeks. Is the um, new company I'm called? Very much so.
0: Looking forward. To we're that. not IRS agents. It should. <laughs> but we'll be. Do, your taxes, a things, but we'll it, do your taxes. But we'll do your taxes.
3: But we'll do your taxes, right? There's a lot of things that it probably should be, but I, I do find it a little funny that the timing of this happens to be what it is because we were going forward with this one way or the other. And it just happens to be that, that the timing is going to be approximately September one, um, which we do. This just happens to correspond perfectly with all these negative Google reviews that I've gotten over the course of the last few weeks, uh, or last week or so, from people who have never interacted with me in their life and never will. So I, I, it's it's a little it's you know it's a little ironic, and timing is everything,
0: right? Yeah. Beautiful. I'll let you get back to it. You got uh, audits to do and. <laughs>
3: Right, exactly. And on
0: that note, awesome. I got to do my gun training and
3: get ready for my audits, right? Yes. Thanks, Adam. So, always a pleasure, David. Anytime. Exactly.
1: So he stood up and he had an opinion, right? And he got demolished for it or attacked for it. And our, our leaders are not standing up. No. You know, it was nice, actually. Um, somebody, Bloomberg, did a little feature on him. They featured him. and it was, but, but it like mentioned nothing about what happened this week. It was sort of like, uh, I think they were just trying to like, you know, do something nice. But still, it's not like anybody stood up and said, hey, guys, he's just saying, don't cheat on your taxes. (laughs) You know, like, back this guy up. And this goes back to the hammer I've
0: been hitting, right? Like, we as accountants and bookkeepers can control the narrative for our clients. We can help. Formulate what they think about the IRS, what they think about taxes, what they think about accountants, what they think about EAs. We can educate them and accountants can change the world. Like it goes back to this like fundamental belief. Yeah. Like we really can. I agree. And and frankly, this is a great example. I mean, he got attacked, but maybe all of tax Twitter should be going after all of mainstream media, letting them understand how the real world works, like what's going on. Yeah. What the audit rates are.
1: Or explaining what the IRS funding levels are and what this is going to mean realistically. like I feel like most Americans who are on the conservative side have no idea that the IRS funding has been cut year after year after year for 20 years and that their current staffing levels are at 1973 levels. And so when the IRS service is bad, it's not because government bureaucrats are lazy, which sometimes they are, but in this case, it's because they literally do not have enough people to answer the phone calls. And like their technology is horribly outdated. Oh, I've got another story about that, David. Washington Post, one of the reporters went on a tour, actually went to an IRS facility and got permission to like take pictures and they put it online as a slideshow article tour. And the link will be in the show notes. I recommend you take a look. Why does the IRS need 80 billion? Just look at its cafeteria. And it has that famous picture of the cafeteria that is filled with tax returns. So like the IRS agents can't even eat lunch in their own cafeteria because it's just filled with that 10 million tax returns. So there's documentary evidence of the the pipeline, as they call it. The pipeline is how a tax return goes in to the IRS. And there's this machine called SCAMPS, S-C-A-M-P-S, that opens and sorts tax returns that have arrived by mail. It runs on Windows XP and... It was updated in the 90s to make it Y2K compliant, so it still works. If the machine breaks down, there's no parts manufactured for it, so an IRS employee has to manufacture them on-site to replace them. Well, apparently only one guy knows how to fix it, so if that guy (laughs) goes missing, we're in trouble because the IRS won't be able to open the mail. They have pictures of this giant floor where agents sit at these desks with semicircular they look like little cubbies, a semicircular cubby that that they sit in front of. And they organize the actual paper into different sections of the cubbies to, I think, move them around. So the checks go here, the 1040 return goes here, and they go into these batches. And that's technology, quote unquote, that was created in the 70s to manually sort these returns. They do candling where they hold envelopes up to a bright light to make sure they didn't miss anything, like a check. A separate document perfection team clones through every single paper return with a red pen to make sure nothing is missing from the document, such as a signature or a W-2. And then they correct them or they fix them. And then they go to data entry. And we've talked about that where like people manually key in. There's there's stamps being used, physical stamps, employees with those rubber finger guards on Air resolution. Oh, there's a picture of a green screen. Apparently, the uh, system runs on COBOL, COBOL, C-O-B-O-L, an antiquated programming language few coders still know. Oh,
0: you mean like an old yeah, micro, just, green and black micro screen, yeah. Not, yeah. not a green screen yeah. like, hey, I'm doing YouTube movies and I get a green screen. You mean like, yeah.
1: yeah. Old terminal. Yeah, so the IRS, you know, they're, they're being demonized. But like, just look at <laughs> look at what it is. It hasn't been modernized. And now they're getting the $80 billion to, I hope, modernize it, hire some people, modernize it, make it better. Like, why can't we get behind making this an agency that's a pleasure to work with? That should be the mission here. Instead, you just got people complaining. So everybody's just crapping on the IRS all day long. And there's tens of thousands of people that work there. Oh, and by the way, why, why don't our associations, like, represent them too? Like, take, stand up for them as well, right? Like everybody's always crapping on the IRS. Well, they're accountants too. They're part of our profession. And a lot of them move into being tax preparers after they work there. And
0: Arguably, you know. they're our partners, right? They're they're all of our partners. Yeah. And, and
1: just thinking
0: about this, like the state of the IRS, like they're just getting kicked when they're already down. But what if they were national transportation? What would our highways look like if they were treated like the IRS? Would we even have highways? Oh.
1: Would we have bridges at all? <laughs> I don't know. They'd be degrading into dirt roads, and the bridges would have fallen into yeah, the river. Yeah, they would not have
0: been repaved you know? since 1970. All
1: roads would not be, have any new pavement. Be like- or they, yeah, they, or they'd be using the same technology to build bridges. <laughs> anyway, you know, there was one other thing I wanted to talk about with the Inflation Reduction Act, which is uh, something else that was in it that's related to taxes, and that's the private equity loophole. Can Before we jump to that, J-
0: can I close the door on the AICB IRS thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
0: so- with the state of the IRS in the way it is, right, there's a kind of a clutching headline that was in accounting today, and it said, the AICPA demands the IRS answer calls on plummeting practitioner priority line. But then if you read it, oh, yeah. like, does this sound like a demand to you? Can I read the actual quote? The recommendations we've provided the IRS are important adjustments that could drastically improve service for countless practitioners and their clients. They would also serve to empower customer service representatives and enable them to perform their duties more efficiently, said AICPA Vice President of Tax Policy and Advocacy, Edward Carl, in a statement Wednesday. We strongly urge the IRS to consider implementing these recommendations as part of their plan to reduce the backlog and improve services and believe that doing so will have a significant positive impact on the services provided by the IRS.
1: I don't see any demanding.
0: (laughs) Like, There's no demanding here. Yeah,
1: there's no demands. And there's no... There's no actual actionable suggestion there. They're just saying get better.
0: But couldn't a demand be like, hey, we're going to tell our members not to file any returns for any clients until you improve X or change X or make something better, right? Or we're only going to or,
1: or give them something to shoot for, like we want the IRS to answer X percentage of calls by next year. That's a demand. Use this money to answer X percentage of calls, right? Like that's actionable you can achieve that? Yeah. I asked Ed Carl in an interview last year. I asked what should the IRS service levels be? And his answer was that he does they don't know. Like the ASCPA doesn't actually take a stance on that. They say Congress has to work with the IRS to figure it and the administration to figure it out. I'm like, "Well, why don't we give them our take? How much money does the IRS need?" That's also a question that you wouldn't answer. That's it, right?
0: We have nothing more about the IRS and the level of service or anything like that, right?
1: But the Not the IRS, but I do have more on the Inflation Reduction Act. Yep. So one of the sticking points at the very end was our Senator, Senator Kristen Cinema, was the last holdout after Joe Manchin on this act. And she demanded and got something taken out of the bill, which was a provision that would have eliminated the private equity carried interest tax loophole. It's this rule that allows the managers of private equity funds to get capital gains treatment of their compensation, essentially. So they work for the private equity company, they manage the fund, they make the investments. And they are allowed to treat their compensation as the same as if they'd invested money in the private equity firm as like a passive investor. That's my understanding of it, anyway. Correct me if I'm wrong, dear listeners. And that's something that Democrats have been targeting for a long time because it's very popular with their base, right? Like, here's these rich private equity fund managers that are getting lower taxes than almost everybody else in this country, right? So, so just dumbness sounds coming
0: here for a second. So, I'm a manager at one of these private equity companies or these funds, and I get a salary, a yearly salary of whatever it might be, and instead of me paying normal federal withholding and and taxes on my normal salary the way I would for every other working American, I'm going to pay long-term capital gains on my money.
1: If you, yeah, if you hold it, if the fund holds the investments for a long enough time frame, period, yeah, you basically get that, you get to pretend you're an investor in the fund when it comes to that. And so um, it just seems unfair and it's very popular to eliminate that. And so Democrats have been trying to do it for a while and I don't want to take a position on whether that's good or bad. I think I've staked my, uh, enough positions in this episode, <laughs> but what I do want to point out is that it got t- pulled out and it's a victory. It's been in the news reported as a big victory for lobbying by private equity firms. And essentially it looks like they lobbied Kristen Cinema. They give her a lot of money, right? Like something like $2 million to her campaign or something like that. And she got it taken out. So it still shows you there's a lot of power in lobbying and money in the world. The, the given that they were able to protect such an unpopular tax rule loophole. I wanted to put this in context in terms of like numbers, like how much money we're talking about. So PE firms in 2004 they spent 15 million dollars on campaign contributions and independent political ads. Private equity firms spent. $222 million in 2020. So they went from $15 million to $222 million in spending on lobbying. And how much money is this going to save them? Well, one guy, Blackstone CEO Steven Schwartzman personally received $150 million of carried interest in incentive fee compensation in 2021 alone. So he would have had to pay a lot more in tax, right? If he didn't have this exemption. And I don't know what the total amount is, but it's well you wouldn't it's actually not that huge in like the context of like our entire economy, you know, private equity like it won't actually change like tax revenue significantly. It's just one of those things where it's like, here's this group that has this sweet deal and they've managed to protect it.
0: And it must be worth a few billion because you're not gonna spend private equity is not gonna spend two hundred million dollars to save two hundred and one million dollars. So, yeah.
1: no, it's worth billions. It's, to bi- to this them. is
0: billions. Yeah. And then not only that, it's directly it's so. them. It's not even like their companies, right? It's that their personal wallets. The individuals. Affected. Yes,
1: the individuals. Yeah. So I think that is it on the Inflation Reduction Act. And we may be out of time for this episode, David, in terms of any other news. Is there anything burning that you want to cover before we get to the listener mail?
0: Um, just You just talked about private equity. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, this is like the one app news Avalera is going to get purchased by a private equity company now. So they're going to go private
1: equity. Yeah. It's huge. Like $8 billion. They're going to take Avalara Private. 90, guys, I don't have it in front of me. I want to say like 90 something dollars per share. So it's less than their high, right? They went up to way over 100. Like I want to say like close to 180 at one point and then dropped down. So I think clearly the board thinks that they're getting a good deal right now. So it's going to be interesting to see like what impact private equity does have on Avalara. Does it turbocharge their growth or does it, you know, will it help them? We'll see. My initial reaction to this
0: was we've we've talked about over the last like 18 months, Avalara is making all these like acquisitions of these companies in all different parts of your business compliance journey and business formation mm-hmm. and compliance. And And I imagine a lot of these things are not profitable today. And it's probably very hard if you're being judged by the street quarter after quarter after quarter. You can't grow your business like that. You can't like if, it's like they're making moves to make money five years from now, ten years from now, yeah. and they're structuring that. But when you're reporting the street each quarter, they just want to know what you did last quarter, and yeah. they're probably thinking, "Hey, we can actually build our company the way we want if we get the pressure of the street off our back."
1: Right? That, that's my initial. Reaction and that's to the this. good thing about it, right? Being a private company. Yes, absolutely. And they've been doing some really interesting acquisitions. They've been making some great moves. So and maybe you and I we'll comprehend, but the street probably doesn't. If it makes right, oh yeah. Well,
0: the only other thing that I had, which is the, the most hypocritical thing this week, is Mailchimp is banning crypto companies from using its service to send out emails. Which Mailchimp's owned by Why Intuit. is that? Hi- why is that hypocritical? Mailchimp's owned by Intuit. Intuit owns TurboTax. Didn't we talk about a few months back? TurboTax was like oh. pushing people to get their tax return into crypto and they're messaging people about that? Like it's it's like full <laughs> that is circle.
1: Like I don't know. It's well, t- I think this is a good thing, you know, because why was MailChimp being used by these crypto companies for scams, for frauds, right? Like that's what's going on. They're they're creating a MailChimp account, importing all these emails, spamming people. Some people fall for it, they buy the token, and the rug gets pulled out from under them. So I think it's a good move, but yeah, it is funny how their parent company was all in on crypto, but so were a lot of people. I actually got a story on that for you, David. Uh this one involves Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks of all people. So, they're being sued in relation to the Voyager, quote, unquote Ponzi scheme. This was as reported in TechCrunch. A group of Voyager digital customers filed a class action suit in a Florida federal court against Cuban, as well as the basketball team he owns, the Dallas Mavericks, alleging their promotion of the crypto platform resulted in over 3.5 million investors losing 5 billion collectively. Voyager is a crypto firm that filed for bankruptcy in July following a crash in crypto prices that instigated a liquidity crunch on the platform. Essentially, Voyager was another one of those crypto banks that had a run on the bank and they had to freeze assets and now they're they're done, right? And everybody who was invested in there or had money in there lost the, is going to lose all their money. And I so I'm wondering, you know, what what kind of promotion was Mark Cuban doing, the Dallas Mavericks were doing. So the Mavericks launched an exclusive 5-year partnership with Voyager in October of 2021, giving fans cash rewards for making trades on the platform. The announcement said the cryptocurrencies were, quote, an attractive investment for novice investors who might only have $100 to start, unquote. Apparently, Cuban also promoted the company, this is according to the lawsuit, as a Voyager customer himself and employed a dupe investors into believing that Voyager was a safe platform. So he's talking about how I'm an investor in Voyager. This is the problem with crypto being unregulated. It's the Wild West, the wildcat banking period happening all over. And dear listeners, if you don't know what the wildcat banking period is, go search that up. Search wildcat banking, United States history, and you will find a whole fascinating several decade period in the United States in the wild west in which banks were unregulated essentially. And this sort of stuff happened, but it was with stagecoaches and paper money and robbers and people running into the bank to try to get their money out. All right, so that's all the time we got this week. We're going to have to save everything for next week, but uh, we did get some listener mail, and so this is the time in the episode when we keep on going, and we get to your messages. This is from Tom Herbert, technology editor at Accounting Web. Awesome to get a letter from a fellow journalist here. Hi Blake, Tom Herbert calling, technology editor over at Accounting Web. Hope all is well. I'm getting in touch off the back of the comments made in a previous episode about the lack of fact checking in your podcasts. I started as a journalist in 20. 20- 08, and have worked for accountancy publications since 2015, so hopefully have something to contribute to this debate. Accurate reporting is important, absolutely. As the old saying goes, facts are sacred, but comment is free. But it's also important to look at content to purpose. Does the article, podcast, or video do what it sets out to do? I definitely don't listen to your podcast to hear you and David regurgitating press releases verbatim, and I'm sure that's the same for the majority of your listeners. The accountancy press, both here in the UK and the US, is littered with low-rent publications, copy-pasting PR puff pieces, but all of them are missing a crucial element. What does any of this actually mean for accountants? Do correct me if I'm wrong, but what yourself, David, and special guests set out to do is try and put the news in context for listeners, most of whom are CPAs or financial professionals. Sure, it might not tally exactly with what everyone's thinking or experience. This is my truth. Tell me yours, right? But in my view, it fulfills the brief of experts in their field discussing the news in an analytical way. I certainly learn something new with every episode. Keep up the good work. Sorry to miss you in the press room at Sweet World this year. It's my colleague, John Stoedick's turn to take the golden ticket. But hopefully, I'll get an invite next time. All the best, Tom. I think it's Stokedick. Sorry, John Stokedick. Thank you, Tom, for that letter. It's awesome that you're listening. We appreciate you. Here's one from Eileen. Hi, you guys are hilarious. Thanks for the podcast on Join Us in Italy. I feel so much better knowing that I'm not the only one who fell for it. This is the uh, Expensicon email. I was dumb enough to actually complete their questionnaire, and what really irked me was that after submitting my very thoughtful reply about why I wanted to come, I got an email that said, quote, we're excited you're interested. Now schedule a call with our team to discuss in more detail how you might earn your way to Italy, unquote. Grr. I was surprised this didn't get mentioned in your show, but maybe you didn't actually submit the form to see this. I uh, I don't remember. I did a reply to the email and I got that same email back. Oh, okay. Like I
0: half mentioned. That's,
1: that's how. So, it. Yeah. Kind of a... <laughs> so we're not the only ones. I'm not the only one who got fooled. Go listen to the Join Us in Italy episode if you want to hear an amazing story about an email from Expensify and what not to do if you are ever going to run a sweepstakes in your app or firm. I actually- Finally, we have one more I, message. I listened to that Go episode. Ahead,
0: I was driving home last night back from Phoenix. And I actually learned a lot more listening to it than we when we recorded it. It is like a little miniature law 101 class like shoved together for like contract law. I thought it was cool.
1: That That was the point. This is from Brian. Brian says, hi, Blake and David. I recently left public accounting and joined an affordable housing not-for-profit as an accounting manager. This is my first time leading a team of four staff in accounting for over 100 separate housing projects slash legal entities. We're the largest community land trust in the country, which is kind of cool. I have quite a hard time finding equivalent resources like I had in the CPA and QuickBooks Online world I was previously in. A few questions. And he has three questions, David. So I'm going to ask uh, each one and then we'll, I'll let you respond or you know, we'll discuss. Okay, so question one, there's too much content out there with podcasts for me to navigate. Are there any podcasts in the Earmark Network slash elsewhere that would be helpful for accounting managers in the industry that are not self-employed slash entrepreneurs? I'm not looking to start a bookkeeping firm, just want to grow in leading and retaining my four corporate not-for-profit staff accountants who are all really green. For CPAs, professional development was really clear. You take a technical CPE and get assigned a more advanced tax return or audit. For folks whose job it is to do the same tasks every month in industry and may not be as driven or technically skilled, how can I provide them growth opportunities so I can retain them and eventually replace myself? So David, podcast recommendations for industry accountants and not-for-profits if they exist. And I know, David, you subscribe to like every accounting podcast in the world so you got to know something. And maybe it's not out there. Maybe it needs to be created. Give me a second here. There is one.
0: I have a recommendation. I had to get out my phone and look in my podcasts here and find this. It's actually from iBailey. So they have a podcast called EB and Flow. EB, the ansign flow. And in a way, it is kind of geared towards internal controllers. Like the episode I had started, it was like writing the current data wave, selecting ERP. Right. So it's at that type of level, you might want to give that one a shot. So it's EB and flow. We'll put that in the show notes.
1: And my recommendation is a show on the Earmark CPE app. So you can download Earmark CPE, go to your app store, download Earmark CPE and go to the channels page and scroll all the way to the bottom. Look for your part-time controller. And they have a channel on Earmark and they have a podcast and it's excellent And they specialize in not-for-profits. So for anyone who's working in industry, working specifically with not-for-profits, go ahead and check it out. Um, The latest one is called Follow the Leader, Succession Planning in a Post-Pandemic World. And it's about how not-for-profit executives are leaving their organizations in record numbers. What do you need to do to get ready? So this is a way that we as accountants can learn about the difficulties that not-for-profits have and helpfully advise them on succession planning. So I think that's a great starting point I would recommend for anyone working in not-for-profits. And you can get CPE credit for it. Question number two from Brian. We use RealPage for our ERP slash general ledger slash tenant and property management interface. Apparently, RealPage accounting is just a white-labeled Sage Intact ERP, though they hide it well. The included support and training is atrocious. Coming from a local CPA firm being the QBO guy, I'm really grieving not having a free tutorial network that is developed like QuickBooks has do you guys know of any Hector Garcia's of the Sage intact world? We're using a cloud accounting product, but are doing most everything manually. There's gotta be some automation to reduce our 15 day rush to month end close for our 100 plus sets of books and 350 bank accounts. So specifically on this, I actually surveyed folks on Twitter and I asked like, who's the Hector Garcia of Sage intact. And for those who don't know Hector, he's like the QuickBooks guru on YouTube. And, uh, there's an interview with him on my Earmark podcast. Go ch- check that out. It's a really good one about the future of QuickBooks. But back to intact, right? There really aren't any of those influencers or thought leaders when it comes to that product that I'm aware of. Do you know, David?
0: Not in the same like YouTube way. I think they're they're at the conferences. Right. I, yeah. I think they attend the conferences. I think they're there. I think they're probably private webinars they're consultants, in right? the private like that, that, that channel is not as open, right? If that makes right. any sense. It's not as accessible. Yeah, so. you know, it's close.
1: It's it's the content is gated. You got to pay. You got to be a client, that sort of thing. That's just the general way it works. I hope that changes, though. I feel like there's an opportunity for a firm, like a consultancy that specializes in t- Intact, to like put that training out there. Because people are searching. Like like This is what software companies don't understand, I think, in the mid-market space, like Intact and NetSuite. When people have a problem... They don't go into your help center to look. They go on Google and they Google the problem. Yeah. So if your help center is closed, they're never, never going to find it, right? And it's a huge, I think, organic marketing opportunity for firms that specialize in the software. And there's lots of them. There's lots of Sage Tech partners and VARs. Like put that stuff out there, make videos on YouTube, Heck, uh, Earmark will help you do it. Get in touch with me. We'll help you. I I, I think there needs to be more of that stuff. Email me, Blake at BlakeOliver.com. Actually, no, Blake at EarmarkCPE.com is better for that. Okay, question three, and then we're done. I know you guys have a small business bookkeeping following. Any plans to include more mid-market cloud software news regularly into the podcast? I'm assuming that as Intac rolls out new features, RealPage eventually implements it into our software, but it'd be nice to know what's coming down the pike. I'm also new to the Sage ecosystem, but since we're not direct customers of Sage, we don't have any access to their resources. See, that's funny to me, right? <laughs> like they don't have access to the Sage resource, Intact resources because they're using a, you know, modified version of Intact or something like that's is weird. Anyway, we do cover the mid market, not as much as we do the small business world, but we are going to Oracle suite world in September. We've been invited as media Apparently, Oracle thinks that we're media, David, which <laughs> that's is true. fantastic. That's true. Yeah. They're paying for us to go there, and we're going to be covering the conference and the developments. We'll be at the keynotes. We'll give you a summary. We're going to talk to the uh, CEO. I think Evan Goldberg is on our list to talk to again this year. Talked to him last year. So that's exciting. But so far, I, I like. I don't think we're not going to the Sage Intact conference this year.
0: Not that we know of yet. But we really should, David. We,
1: we, we should. When is it?
0: Um, it is the week of October 7th or it's 15th. It's Sage Transform.
1: Yeah. And accounting It's week of October, com. October 10th to 14th. And you can find this at AccountingConferences.com, which is uh, David's public service to the accounting profession. So if I go to AccountingConferences.com, is it up to date, David? Yes. Okay. Always up to date. So if I screw... So if I scroll down, oh, my God, you've got everything in here. This is like stuff I've never heard of.
0: I think this this should be <laughs> there. It is a featured event,
1: actually, in the f- yeah. first part. So actually, I recommend, uh, Brian, go to Sage Transform, which is the Sage Intact conference. I went there when I was working at Flowcast. That was a big event for us, and so I got to know it there it's fantastic. It's got all the sessions, all the resources. You know, these companies, they're still learning how to be online in a lot of cases. And you're gonna find most of the people who, like the Hector Garcia of Sage Tech is gonna be at that conference.
0: I, I think addressing the coverage, it's not that we're not covering them. They just don't make a lot of news. And <laughs> what I mean by that is- They don't, They, yeah. they just change a little bit slower. And a lot of time they save them all up and just announce it at their conference. So, so maybe QuickBooks yeah. or Zero are putting out a little aggressive quarterly updates to every eight weeks, they're pumping out some features and they announce the new features. Even though Sage Intact might be on an eight week release cycle and they have new features coming out, they really don't just push those out because it's just a different market, right? A yeah. lot of people need to adopt their changes versus them just being pushed out because they're, they're ERP level. Like you can't, you just don't want to take a new a new way of doing something if you're you have systems tied to the ERP. So there's just they, they do announcements and we do cover it, but also sometimes what they're doing isn't even newsworthy, right? Like we did cover when they finally added bank feeds. Like They started adding things the rest of us had in the cloud accounting world, but they just they don't have the same kind of cycle. They're in all our feeds. I, I cover the news, we
1: watch them, but they just don't have as much coming out. David, that's all the time we have this week. If people want to connect with you online. Where should they do that? I'm on all the socials at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. Send us your emails. Send me your voicemails to Blake at BlakeOliver.com. We love getting those. We read them. We listen to them. We play them on the air. David, I'll see you here next week. All right. Time for The Classifieds. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.